My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 44. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. If I sound a little somber this morning, it's because I am in a slight state of shock. My office manager added up all of the charges that I have incurred on my 1965 Mustang convertible restoration project. My guess, um, I guess my original estimate, was to be all in at $50,000. I only missed it by $35,000. And you may be saying, well, how can you spend $35,000 restoring a car? That's not the question. That's how much over budget I went. I paid $15,500 for the car. I spent close to 70 restoring it. And in all truth, probably 15 of that was due to me not paying attention. I was too distracted building my showroom for my Nissan dealership. That that was part of it. Uh, the other is just getting involved in too many other projects. And so I let that one kind of slide. He was just... Uh, in there painting and sanding and and uh, making adjustments and things like that, and I just didn't keep track of his time as well as I should have. His time, my body guy. I'm not mad at him, though. I mean, I'm mad at myself for not ma- managing it better. But this is what happens, you know, when you are paying other people to do work for you. If you don't watch them and stay on top of them, then it's possible that they will you know, take liberties. So, you know, it's a beautiful car. It's turned out very good. It's a white 1965 Mustang convertible. It has a black canvas top and a beautiful red interior. It is really nice. But there are limits to what that car will bring. I mean, if you look on uh, Bring a Trailer or some auction site, the most that you would see a convertible sell for is probably going to be in the 50 range. I'm thinking this one, because... I, I went to such a high level, especially with the chassis. I replaced the entire chassis. It looks like a brand-new vehicle, it's, and especially so underneath. So it's going to do well. I, I think 65 maybe, if I'm lucky. But we'll see. I'll keep you informed. Uh, ran into some other folks yesterday, wonderful people, who uh, have some cars that they're wanting to sell. I mentioned this the other day. They're mostly resto mods. And very unusual vehicles, uh, a couple station wagons, which is something that I dearly love. I love station wagons. I grew up in station wagons. I remember the the time my dad came home in a 1969 Caprice Classic Estate, and um, he had two little Honda 70s, trail trail 70s, stuck in the back of it. With the, the at the time, you could actually fold down the handlebars on those things. He, I think he paid $300 a piece for him back in 1969. And uh, that was big money, I guess, back in 1969. Today, those things are selling on Bring a Trailer and different websites for anywhere from four to $6,000. They have gone up in value. People like to buy those and ride them around campgrounds. So I'm going to look really good chasing them with my 194, I'm sorry, 1954 Piaggio Vespa as soon as I get the engine rebuilt in it. Yeah. So that was an unexpected expense. You know, you go to an auction, you pay. Well, I really got a, a what I feel like was a great deal on it. I paid $12,000 for it. 
I know it's a scooter, but it's an old scooter. And the estimated value was between eighteen and 24000 I believe, is what they thought it would bring. So I got it for less than what they thought. So I felt pretty good about it. And I've done some checking lately. I think I can sell it in, in the mid-20s uh, on my favorite auction website. But we shall see. I might just keep that thing, though, if they can get if it's reliable, if it'll start every time I crank it or, you know, kickstart it. It has a little kickstarter on it. Very unsophisticated. But the engine just would not hold compression. And so I had to find a – I went online just like you would. I Googled uh, vintage Vespa repair shops, and there weren't many. Uh, There was one in Atlanta, though, that looked promising. And so I checked it out and uh, ended up getting a a referral from a guy that I knew happened. He actually referred – that same guy, he he apparently – they run in the same circles. These people that that are interested in vehicles that run on two wheels, especially vintage vehicles, they know who the good guys are, who the ones that you can count on for different types of motorcycles so and scooters. So I'm getting a brand-new motor. It's coming from, well, not the block. Hopefully they'll be used. I pray that they'll be able to use the original block because that matters. Um, so... But I have a new head and new pistons and so forth, so hopefully we'll be able to get that going. They're going to put an electronic ignition on it, so I'll be able to ride around the campground in style. Okay, while I'm thinking about that, we'll take a quick break. I'll be back in just a minute. Okay, I am back. I had a fascinating interview last night. Had this guy send me an email. Still don't know how he got my email address, but he sent me this very professional email. And it had all of his qualifications, all you know, a bunch of different jobs that he had had in different places. I think he was born and raised in Southern California and moved to Florida. Spent a lot of time down there in the tire business, you know, retail automotive business, but not the car business like I'm in. And he had done pretty much everything from being a mechanic to a service advisor to running the, the actual stores that he worked for. I won't name the brand. Don't want to give him away. But he retired at 42 and started running around in an RV. And he's done that for the last four years. And finally, he ended up in Greenville, Tennessee, or just outside of Greenville. He um, is still riding around in his camper. Well, he's not riding around in it. It's a fifth wheel, and it's parked at a campground just outside of Greenville. And they finally decided that they love this area so much that they're just going to plant and he's planning over there on Highway 70, not too far from where my dealership is. So he decided he would send out an email or two. And so he's visited some car dealers and trying to find a job that, that fits his profile. But I think what, what fascinated me about him was that he actually had some personality. You know, there's so many people that come in to interview with me, and they're just flat. You know, it's just like they've been beaten down by life. And I don't know, you know, they need to pump themselves up. If you're coming in for an interview, number one, dress like you uh, want to get the job and that you care. And number two, act like you do. It's just so frustrating. I know a lot of people are complaining all the time about can't find good people. The good thing about my dealership right now is, and I keep my fingers crossed when I say this, is that we have very little turnover, practically none in fixed operations, which is the service department, you know, and the service advisors and technicians and 
porters and that kind of stuff. And then uh, in the parts department, same thing, zero turnover. Sales department used to be a big problem, but it's not anymore. Last two or three years, we've had practically zero turnover. Just a few here and there that think that they can get into the car business. Yeah, I'd like to be able to sell cars. My mom always said I was a good talker. Well, that's not necessarily, you know, what we what we're looking for. Just because you think you can sell something doesn't mean you can. It's tough. I mean, it's tough in the car business, especially because a lot of the people that come in immediately don't trust you, and so it's not as bad as it used to be. And we've been in business a long time, and a lot of people come in because of reputation, because we've been here, because their parents bought from here, or they've had previous experience, or they were recommended to us, or they read the Google reviews or whatever. There's all kinds of different reasons people will come in and buy a car from you. There are also other reasons why people will stay away from you. And it could be the same kind of thing. It could be a bad experience that somebody had. You know, it could be many years ago. I had a person come in, oh, it was... Sometime last year, I don't remember exactly, it's just kind of shocking. It's why it's stuck in my memory. He said, Lenny, I've known you for 30 years, and I swore I'd never buy another car from you. And I couldn't, for the life of me, think why. And he told me, and something happened. He was dissatisfied with the vehicle, and apparently I didn't give him the answers that he wanted, so he never. He, he said he would never darken our door. Well, he ended up darkening our door again. And I was able to apologize for something that I don't even remember. And we were able to shake hands and and go on from there. And he bought a vehicle from us. People will stay away from you for many reasons. You know, they, maybe they don't like your brand. Maybe they don't like, uh, you know, somebody that works for you. Maybe they think that the only way they can get a great deal is to go out of town. You know, I've had people tell me that over the years, say, Lenny, you can't buy a car in Greenville. And I always say, well, that's funny. People in Kingsport say they can't buy a car in Kingsport, yet they drive to Greenville to buy a car or Johnson City or wherever. Now, the Internet has changed that a lot because people are, are shopping around online, and they don't know you from Adam. They just know that you have what they want, and they're willing to drive to get it. And, you know, they could probably find it in their own hometown if they would just go down to that dealer and say, hey, I'm looking for this, and he'd probably locate them one and sell it to them right there. I mean, I've had people show up at the dealership, and I'd say, well, if you don't mind me asking, what, why did you come to Greenville, Tennessee to buy this? This is a fairly common vehicle. She said, well, this was a lady look, wanting to buy a, an expedition, and she was from Middle Tennessee, and they drove all the way to Greenville, Tennessee to pick up this expedition on their way to go to Asheville, North Carolina, and stay there for a couple of days. And I said, why, do you, why did you do this? She said, because it's an adventure. I said, well, that sounds like a good reason. So people will choose to go somewhere else for multiple reasons, and they will choose to stay away for multiple reasons. Well, this guy that came in and interviewed with me, I was just so impressed with his personality. He just radiated goodwill. And he said, you know, the businesses that I worked in, customer satisfaction had to be at the top or you lost your job. You know, it was very much a corporate enterprise, and they track uh, customer experience and customer satisfaction scores uh, like crazy, and and they want to make sure that the managers that are running their enterprises are generating goodwill. And if they're not, it doesn't matter what kind of numbers you're generating. If you don't have good customer satisfaction scores, they're done with you. So I'm thinking, 
this is the kind of guy that I'd like to hire. My problem is I don't really have an opening. Now, I have been known to create openings for people. I'll tell you a story about that, Um, one particular example, and this was probably the biggest example, most successful. I went to a a preschool party for my wife. She was a teacher at Tuscan View School in Greenville, Tennessee, and and um, so she wanted me to come to this, you know, preschool event. Uh, it was at one of the fellow teachers' houses. So we went, and I'm sitting there and drinking a Coke or whatever. I don't remember what I was drinking. It was non-alcoholic, that's for sure. And so we're sitting around there talking. All of a sudden, this guy walks up to me, and it's it's a guy that I've known forever. I'm not going to say his name. I've known him since he was a kid. Knew his dad really well. His dad's older than me, but he and he was younger than me. Matter of fact, my wife t- taught this young man in the third grade, when he was a third grader. Well, now he's an adult, and he's working at a warehouse. And I said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm driving a a forklift truck. My service manager calls them tow motors. I don't know where that ever came from, but it's a forklift. I said, really? And plus, this guy was a college graduate, played uh, college sports. And I said, well, you know, why are you driving a forklift truck? And not that there's anything wrong with that, but why are you doing it? He said, well, I've been looking for a job. I'm interviewing at a bank right now. I said, a bank? What bank? And he told me. He said he's going to be working in the collections department. Well, I'm sitting there thinking, well, how would you like to get in the car business? Car business? Yeah. I mean, I don't really have a job right now, but I certainly am looking for talented people like yourself. I'd be glad to talk to you about it. So he came down to the dealership the next day. We we talked, and as I said, I've known him since he was little, but I really didn't know him. You know, you have those people that you're around a lot, and you see them, they're kids, and they grow up, and you say, hey, how you doing? You know, if you see them in the grocery store, you say hi, but you're not best friends. Well, that was the way we were. And so I created a job for him because I saw that he had potential, that he had talent. So he was. I was going to make him my manager of customer service. I wanted him to monitor our customer satisfaction scores, make sure that we were at the top. If he saw a defect, to help figure out how to fix it, to work in the service department, learn what everybody does in the dealership. And he did that, and he did it well. Eventually, he became the general manager of my Mazda dealership. And then we bought a Ford dealership. He became the general manager of that. Then we bought a Toyota dealership. He became the general manager of that. And then everything kind of blew up in the Great Recession, And we split the dealerships, and he went on to work with the guy who bought the Toyota dealership from us. Well, now, this guy that I hired that was driving a forklift truck is now, um, I don't know if he's gone to to the uh, top yet, but they've offered him the presidency of a dealership group that owns, I don't know how many, I think they're up to in the 60 or 70 car dealerships. They've offered him the presidency of that all because of his superior training he got from Lenny Lawson. No, not really. I did send him to the NADA Dealer Academy, and he learned a lot of valuable skills there, but most of his skills were learned on the job. And somebody, namely me, recognized that this guy had potential and decided to give him an opportunity by creating a job that didn't exist. Now, I'm no hero, He did all the hard work. You know, I just recognized the potential. And it's just like this guy that I just interviewed. I mean, I see a talented person there, has a lot of different skills, 
But his primary skill, to me, is his personality. And I can tell he's an intelligent person, well-spoken, looks you in the eye when he talks to you. You know, these are all things that, that I look for. I look for job stability, make sure that they've been there for a while, not jumped around from job to job, and that when they were at a job, they were promoted. You know, if you're not promoted and you stay at the bottom all the time, then it could there could be a number of reasons for that. It's not always because you're not talented. It could be because the guy that's above you doesn't like you. But I just love being able to see at my advanced old age, I love being able to see these young guys come up and turn them into – help them become something. You know, help them grow. Help them learn skills that will carry them into other jobs or other opportunities. You know, people say, well, why would you want to train somebody so that they leave you? Well, you know, it's probably going to happen anyway. Do you want really skilled people uh, working for you, people with potential, and risk the, the fact that they may leave? Or do you want to hire people with no talent, no skills, no ambition? I mean, I want somebody to be able, I mean, to want to improve themselves and move up the ladder. I mean, I knew this guy that that I hired was probably probably not going to stay with me forever because I have family in my business, and he was going to kind of bump his head against them. So he wanted to expand. We bought more dealerships. Everything worked out fine. So everybody's not motivated to move up. Some people just... You know, they're perfectly happy staying where they are, doing the same job for 30 or 40 years, you know, buying, you know, living at a, a particular level, standard of living. Other people are very ambitious. And uh, you just have to recognize that and make sure that you're putting them in the right job. And sometimes that's not easy. I've had a lot of people over the years want to go into a job that requires a lot of ambition. And they say, well, I think I can do it. I, I, think, I, I think I might be able to do that. They won't. You know, they, they have to have the confidence and the drive. And can somebody change? Seldom. I mean, I haven't had a whole lot of luck with people changing who they are, you know, and, and their personality. Um, I think my mom and dad recognized real early about my personality and what I was going to be good at. That's why they said, maybe you shouldn't go to medical school. So it's probably a good idea. Okay, I'm going to take my last break. I'll be back in just a minute. I hope you don't mind me talking about my business, internal stuff, uh, employment things, uh, business philosophy, those kinds of things. If you do, then you can skip this show because that's what I do on occasion. I do like to talk about business philosophy. I get a lot of good feedback when I do. Um, I do actually have hired several employees off of this radio show because they listen to me and they say, hmm, I kind of like that guy. And uh, they came in and saw that, you know, what you hear is what I is. And I don't try to put on any airs for anybody. I, tr- I try to be exactly who I am all the time. And that was kind of hard for me when I was younger. Uh, my mom and dad really wanted to steer me in certain directions. Do you like to be steered? I didn't. Uh, when, I ca- when I got out of UT, they wanted me to... to you know, of course, come to work, and I did, and I was really happy and stuff. But then they wanted me to start really getting involved in the community, you know, joining civic organizations, stuff like that. And I just, I didn't want to do that. That was just 
something that, of course, it seemed like most of the people that were involved in the exchange club and Kiwanis and all that kind of stuff were all older people. Why would I, why would a 21 year old want to do that? Well, because it was the best thing. And they knew that. They knew that if I was going to be a car dealer in small town Tennessee, I needed to do that. I need to be involved in the community. And I loved it. I ended up becoming the president of just about every organization I joined. And uh, my dad used to call it paying the civic rent. <clears throat> Sorry. He would say, Lenny, if you, if you work in a, in a town, you need to support that town. You need to support it. Uh, you know, your customers are coming in buying stuff from you. You need to turn around and do things for that community and pay it back because you exist because they want to do business with you. And it's important for you to give back to your community. And so that lesson stuck, and I've got my kids doing the same thing. It's very important for people to do that. When I see that on somebody's resume, too, the things that they volunteer for, you know, do they coach? Do they just coach their own kids or do they coach other kids? You know, there's that's one of the things I coached my son and my daughter in basketball because the coaching was not very good, you know, in this community at that time. And so I wanted to coach. And so one of the things I didn't want to do was quit as soon as my kids grew out of it. So I stuck around for three or four more years just to prove to people that I was not just in it for my kids. And that paid dividends too. And I ended up getting elected to the, to the uh, Greenville Parks and Recreation Hall of Fame. I didn't really deserve that. But I did. I was honored by it. And I think that's just a symbol of what devotion to your community can be all about. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. Uh, call me if you need me or send me a, a text message, 423-552-2020, and I will see you tomorrow.